Thanks for listening to The Rivers Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. So we are in um, a series called The Parables. And parables uniquely, I had a window brought out on stage because to me, parables are like a window. Like if truth is this box that you can't see inside this concept, then the parable is when you put a window on that box and now you can see inside. And sometimes if it's clean enough, I had a friend tell me, you can also see your own reflection in those parables. And it opens up truth in a way that you can actually wrap your mind around and embrace it. A very simple example of this would be when students are in elementary school and they're learning math, the teachers don't say, one plus three is four, memorize it. Or they don't even say, count the dots on the three. They do that later, but usually the first analogy is, okay, you have one apple, and then I give you three more apples. How many apples do I have now? And kids were like, you know, I didn't really think in math before, but I can think in apples. I get it. That's that's an easy one. Um, But even at a deeper level than that, if I were to say to you, my son is creative, you would say, okay. But if instead I told you, the other day, we're at home, and he's watching television, and he gets up and just shuts the TV off, then he runs into the dining room, and he grabs some markers and some colored pencils, he sets them down on the, on the table and tries to organize them real quick, because he's kind of frantic, and he's only eight. And then he runs down to the basement and he grabs a piece of paper and he brings it up and he, and he sets it down and pulls a chair up and he takes a light blue color pencil. He colors the whole page light blue. And then he takes a green crayon and on the bottom of that he starts to color over the color pencil green and then he starts to draw some brown and I'm looking at this thing as he's drawing it and he's actually doing a really good job with this with this picture, and by the end of it, it's just like this meadow with some trees that lead into a forest and this beautiful expanded sky. And if I told you that story, you would say, man, your son is creative. But I would never have to say those words because I shared it with you. Now, that story never happened (laughs) because he's eight. But you get the point. And so the idea of the parable is that we look into a truth and find a deeper truth, which is actually the truth we're supposed to be looking at. But sometimes in this culture, when we read Jesus' parables specifically, we just automatically put them in our own cultural lens. And we miss out on some of what he's actually talking about. And so this morning, my goal is to take this window and apply some ZEP commercial streak-free glass cleaner to the window. And hopefully, not only will we see a truth as we look into this parable, but we will also understand a greater truth for ourselves. That window's extra clean because I did it first service as well. 
So the parable we are reading today is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So here's what is going on in this parable. Jesus is teaching, and a man, probably a Jewish man, because Jews taught Jews during that time, not Jesus, he taught everybody, but he's in a setting where Jews are learning from him, and he's teaching, and a man stands up to challenge him. This is a similar cultural context to us. In school, if you want to ask a question, you raise your hand, your teacher can call on you. But if you stand up, it's more of a, hey, we're going to go at it now. I'm going to confront you. And the man asks, if we look at the verse, he asks a rather silly question that you and I know the answer to. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We know it's what? Nothing. You can't inherit eternal life. And so Jesus in his very witty, Jesus-like response, says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, to which Jesus says, well done, idiot. He says, you got it. You answered your own question. Go and do likewise. This man is challenging Jesus. Jesus answers his question with a question. The man answers his question, and then Jesus says, you knew the answer. Go, go do what you just said. To which this man doesn't sit down and be quiet like he probably should have at that point because you don't get into a rap battle with Jesus. <laughs> he decides to ask a rather more tricky question, trying to corner Jesus. He says, and who is my neighbor? Now, to understand where he's coming from, this man knew the Bible, we would assume, and the Torah, and he's coming out of Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, 
but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So here's Jesus, who's hanging out with the Samaritan woman at the well, who is also spending time with Zacchaeus, who's touching people he shouldn't be touching, healing people he shouldn't be healing, not necessarily following the Levitical law. And so the man says, so who's my neighbor, Jesus? Knowing that loving your neighbor as yourself meant loving your people. We even talk about that today. They will know we are Christians by the way we love each other. And it's a very true concept, and it was true in Leviticus here, and it was a big piece of God's law, but I'm not sure this man wasn't proof texting. Proof texting meaning pulling a verse out and trying to use it to your own advantage because he failed to continue reading. A few verses down in the same chapter of Leviticus, there's a little verse that this man may have known about may have been trying to trick Jesus or put him in a position to choose one or the other that says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. And so this guy has a tension between these two verses. Either he didn't keep, keep reading, which he's a smart dude. I'm, I'm sure he probably did. Now he has two verses that he's putting in front of Jesus. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? One of them says, clearly, love your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your people. Don't hold a grudge against your people. And then the other one kind of addresses it. Love them as yourself. A foreigner, someone different than you, someone outside on the fringes who finds their way into your land, treat them like you. It almost appears like whichever way Jesus answers, there's going to be an argument against, or at least open for debate. Because Jesus has been doing so much healing, so many miracles, he's been teaching so well, people are so in awe of him that I'm not going to put it past any Jewish leader to just look for any moment that they can try to create some something, some type of controversy out of something Jesus says, even if it's a normal biblical controversy that people have been debating over and over and over for years. So if he can get Jesus to agree to one of these then he can now challenge and come back with another one, which is going to do what to Jesus? Discredit him a little bit. But you and I both know Jesus is smarter than that. The dude rose from the dead. So Jesus is going to have none of this. The man says, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus just tells a story. And what's unique about this specific story to me is it's not one of those where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's telling a story to answer a man's question. And so in answering this question, or not, he says, so a man was walking from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he got beat up and robbed and left for dead, and then these people came by. And it's a really unique and weird story to answer this man's question, and we'll get to that. But this man was challenging Jesus. And then, in the story, the man is naked and half dead. We're going to get back to that. The word naked is important here, for, but, but not yet. 
The man is naked and half dead. Now, Jesus is telling this story that never happened, but he's telling it about a road that is real. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem is the same road that Jesus met the Samaritan woman on and drank water with her. The road to, from Jericho to Jerusalem was super rocky terrain, It was very dangerous. People were commonly attacked by robbers there, killed and left for dead. And the Jews believed that many of these people who were doing these brutal attacks were Samaritans. And so this super violent rocky path literally became known as the way of blood. It was called the way of blood because how much bloodshed robbers caused. So this man is naked and half dead on the way of blood, left for dead, and in the story, a priest comes by. And a priest comes down the same road. Now when we read this, we always assume the priest is walking, right? Priests were rich. They were rich during this time. Probably not walking, probably riding, probably had shade. And he sees this man, and he passes by on the other side of the road. Well, priests often lived in Jericho, but would have to go do two-week stints of service in Jerusalem at the temple. But this man, this priest, he's, he has some tension. And the tension is this. If he sees a man lying naked and half-dead on the side of the road, and that man is a Jew... He is obligated to help him by law. We just read the verse. He's obligated to help him. But if the man is a Gentile or a pagan and he gets close to him and touches him, he becomes ceremonially unclean and he has to go through a week-long purification process. Also, if the man is dead and he gets close to him, he also has to go through a week-long purification process. So this priest is kind of between a rock and a hard place. If I get close to this guy and I find out he's a Jew, I'm obligated to help him. But if I don't, if he's not a Jew and I get close to him, then I have to go to this purification process and I don't get to do my job for the rest of the week, which I'm supposed to be doing and serving and loving and helping people at the temple and getting sacrifices and getting paid. And so the priest chooses not to engage. He passes by on the other side of the road. That's significant for one reason. It wouldn't have been that difficult to figure out if this dude was a Jew or not. Why? He's naked! (laughs) Jews are circumcised. So it wouldn't have been that hard. He wouldn't even have had to touch him. Just kind of get close and lean over. Hmm. Not a Jew. Moving on. But he doesn't. He doesn't even want to get involved in that. So he passes by on the other side of the road, and then a Levite comes along. And this one is so much shorter. This Levite comes along, and it just says... So to a Levite, when he came to that place, he, pa- he saw him and passed by on the other side. Well, that's easy because Levites were like priests' assistants. Like they're going to go, they're going to help prepare the sacrifices, they're going to do that. So the Le- this Levite in this story would have known that his priest had gone first 
and he's coming after. And so for him, if his priest didn't stop, then why should he? He's going to either assume that the priest has already checked and the guy's not a Jew, or he's going to wonder about it because maybe he knows the personality of his priest, but he's going to say, I don't want to show up with this guy on my donkey. It's going to show up my priest, and then I'm never going to get promoted. So he simply passes by on the other side because he's been led that way, and he's been taught that way. And then the twist of the story, Samaritan shows up. Here's what's unique about this. Jewish people had heard this story before. It just had a different ending. Usually like a good Jew or a good priest. The good priest came along and helped. And then that's an easy answer to who is my neighbor, you know? It's the person who does the good, the good priest. But Jesus throws this whole twist in it and says, a Samaritan comes by. Oh my goodness. This is going to give a visceral reaction in, in, in the hearer's stomach. They're going to hate it. Because Samaritans were half-breeds, meaning when the Jews were in exile in Babylon, some of them had sex with pagans, and then, boom, out popped Samaritans. And these people were not good. They were unclean. They were mean. They were evil. They had their own version of the Torah. They worshipped at a completely different place. The Jews would have said they're a completely different religion that's going to burn in hell. Whatever hell was for the Jewish people at that time. They are not going to be at the feast at the end of time. They're not going to be with, G with, with God. And Jesus is saying... A Samaritan stops and helps him. And not only does a Samaritan stop, he uses his time, his energy, and his money, and he risks his own life. Jews during that time, if you saw a Samaritan in your territory, a lot of them just justified the killing of that Samaritan because that Samaritan was impure and they assumed that Samaritan was probably going to kill them anyways. So, you know, might as well take care of them first, right? If they're coming to kill me, let me, let me kill them first. Jews would justify that with that way of thinking. But this man risks his life because if this man is a Jew, he's got to put him up in a Jewish hotel, which means he's got to go into Jewish territory. And then he spends the night. And the next morning he gets up and he pays two denarii for this guy, which is actually about two weeks. I mean, it's two nights, he pays two weeks. Because he's probably getting ripped off anyways if he's in a Jewish city or in a Jewish place. And so he says, and if there's anything extra that I owe, I'll come back and pay for it. He spends his time, his energy, puts him on his donkey, his money, and risks his own life to take care of this man. And I can imagine the, like, the anger reaction. I would imagine people just got up and walked out right then. Just with the word Samaritan. It's like, this story's going really good. Did he just say Samaritan? I'm out. Because it just wouldn't have fit. A Samaritan would be completely backwards to Jews. Samaritans were not capable in the Jewish mind of such good. But for Jesus, what the Samaritan does in this story is far and above what any Jew did. Vastly far and above. They did evil. 
but the evil one did good. Weird. So hang in here with me, because here's the problem. Jesus doesn't answer the man's question. I don't know how many of you got that. (laughs) He just doesn't answer the guy's question. The guy asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of one of his enemies helping a naked man when his own people refused to help him. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Well, let me tell you about this Samaritan guy. It's like if you came to me, and this is all hypothetical, because the parable of the Good Samaritan is a parable. It never happened. Never happened. So it's like if you were to come to me and you, were, and you said something like, Rod, what is my responsibility to love refugees or immigrants or Muslims or Russia? Ooh, Russia. What's my responsibility here? These, these kind of hot topics people. And my response to you after you ask me that question, what's my responsibility? If my response to you was, hey, I know some refugees and immigrants and Muslims and Russians who love better than you. You ask me, what's my responsibility? And my reply is, I know some, I know some Muslims and Russians who love better than you do. You would feel judged. And you would feel hurt and you would feel confused and you would feel angry and you would feel threatened And if I topped it all off by telling you a story about one of these immigrant refugees, Muslims, or Russians, who actually helped when your people didn't help, and then I had you answer me at the end, now who's the good guy? And you had to be like, Vladimir Putin. (laughs) It would just rub it in even further. What the heck is Jesus doing? You see, I think for Jesus, I believe something deeper is going on. I think he's diving deeply into this man's heart. I think he looks past the skin, past the bones, past the facade, past the tricky questions, to the heart of what is going to move this man in a direction where he can love better and see the world as God sees the world. So for Jesus, I think the point is not as much that we need to be the good Samaritan like we tell our kids. And that's not a bad thing. It's good to be good. But I wonder if the point in this parable is not that we be the good Samaritan, but rather that we see the Samaritan as good. Not so much that we be the good Samaritan, but rather that we see the Samaritan as good. I wonder if the Samaritan in this story represents all that we have labeled as bad, broken, evil, incapable of good, and unworthy. And I wonder if the Samaritan in this story challenges us to look him in the eye and ask ourselves if he too might be filled with the love of God. If he too might have the potential to love and to be loved. And if the answer is yes, for some of us the answer might be no, which I would say take that up with the parable, not me. But if the answer is yes, then we are obligated to look past ethnicity, religion, status of any kind, and past behavior and only see the other 
as good. And if we can do that, then we can be in agreement with God who spoke all things into existence and Jesus who gives us this incredible parable that all of creation, regardless of its current standing, because it was created by God, is good and should be treated as such. It's a heavy word. But the parable is a heavy word. I honestly thought about rewriting this parable, but I did not want like half of you guys walking out like they did on Jesus, I'm sure. I thought about writing the parable of the good ISIS member, the parable of the good Muslim, taking it down a notch for some of you, the parable of the good immigrant, the parable of the good refugee. But then I realized Jesus was diving into this man's heart. There's not one there's not one people group that can hit all of our hearts. Because where you're at and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you to move his kingdom forward is unique to you. Sure, there are cultural boundaries we've put up that we need to look and see with God's eyes rather than our own fear, but this is about our hearts, your heart, my heart. It's not a political statement. Jesus wasn't doing that. So friends, don't ask God who your neighbor is. He'll just give you this parable. Instead, think of the people who you're most afraid of. Think of the people you're most uncomfortable with, the ones you've most easily labeled. And then take them and put their name in the parable where it says Samaritan and realize that what Jesus is challenging you to consider is that that person might have more potential to love than you. And in that challenge, he's raising the equity of the Samaritan so that people can be on the same playing field and look at each other with the eyes of God. The good Samaritan, God looked at his creation and he said, it is good. And so he's raising the status of someone who's been put low. It's not about us being the good Samaritan, maybe, but rather seeing the Samaritan as good. Because once we can see the other as good, we can have eyes like Jesus and we can share in the Father's heart for his creation. I'm going to read that again because I actually took time when I typed that sentence. Once we can see the other as good, regardless of ethnicity, religion, standing, choices, once we can see them as good, then we have eyes like Jesus. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and loved him. Once we can see the other as good, we have eyes like Jesus and we share in the Father's heart for his creation. And when we can share in the Father's heart for all of his creation, there will be no stopping the church of Jesus Christ. When you can share in his heart for all of creation, there will be no stopping the church of Jesus Christ. And so I end this sermon with the statement that Jesus told 
this man after the first question. When he looked at him and the man said, and love your neighbor as yourself before they got into this whole thing. Go and do likewise. Go and ask God, transform my mind so that when I look at a person, the label is removed off of their forehead. Transform my mind so that when I think of a people, the label is removed off of their standing. So that I don't draw lines around them, but rather try to see them as God sees them. As his children, who he longs to bring back to him. And if we can do that, then we have great opportunity to partner with the creator of the universe to bring this love to the world. But it requires sacrifice. It requires stepping away from fear. And it requires this really crazy new way of thinking that you can look at a person and say they're good, regardless of what you think, know, have heard about them. You can look at them and you can say, they're good. And to that, Jesus would say, who is your neighbor? After a story that never happened. And I think the reason that that story never happened and yet Jesus told it is because he longs to have his kingdom where that story, where the Samaritan is good, seen as good, crash into this planet. And we also treat the Samaritan as good. Whoever the Samaritan is for you. So please, friends, with me, the challenge is for me as well. Go and do likewise. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.